All right, and we're back for another edition of the Big Red Lily Podcast. My name is Presley Meyer, and I am alongside Alex Stingle. I'm going to get your name right forever and always from now on, Alex. How are you tonight, man? I'm good. I'm good. Um, it's it's super hot and muggy, if anybody was wondering. Um, I just took the dog for a walk and got back, and I don't think I eclipsed like maybe three miles an hour on the sidewalk, and I was pretty sweaty. When I got home, I was going to say, so so we've been getting a lot of rain recently and you could come inside from working in the yard and you can't tell if you were working in the rain or if it is just hot outside. Like I I saw, like actually like walk by one of those thermostats that has the humidity on it the other day and it said 99% humidity outside. So, um, plus you mix that with the, the lovely Ohio Valley allergy season. mm, It's incredible. It doesn't it get much a, better than that, folks. You're yeah, stuck inside your really house, and, and the the only time that you get to go outside and have for yourself out in the real world is when it's 100 degrees with 100% humidity, and you're dying from allergies. Yep. Welcome to Louisville, Kentucky. Absolutely, especially during the pandemic. It's fantastic. Good times, would, good times. I love combining <laughs> really, really fun things right off the bat, but... But no, besides that, um, how was your weekend? How was your holiday Memorial Day weekend? Memorial Day weekend was good. A lot of golf going on. Uh, I think we're going to get into the match a little bit later because I watched that start start to finish. Live um, sports. Live sports. Woo. And then outside of that, I hit the links a couple times, got a nice sweat on as we were speaking about, and uh, was able to get on the course in between all the rain showers. So uh, what about yourself? It's been good. Uh, I just got, you know, a couple small projects done around the house. Um, I was, I had, you know, one and a half lazy days probably. So about half the weekend, it was a good mix. You know, I was productive, but then I was also not productive. That's a good mixture. I, That's a lot more production than I had. I did sure. get my first sunburn, which I was, this is like the first time probably in years I've actually been happy about a sunburn because that just meant <laughs> I was outside for an extended period of time in the sun finally. Yeah. Um, so I didn't feel like a pale house ghost. Like, I was say, you don't look last... like super sunburned. No, it's gone down a little bit. Like, if you would have caught me Sunday, or maybe even um, maybe even Saturday was pretty bad. So- Saturday night was probably, that was like just fresh, you know, just right back from from the sunshine when it's like right. peak redness, and you're just right. glowing, but not in a good way. I've seen Jacob, which obviously he's not on the pod with us tonight, but I've seen that he has just been hanging out at the pool like the whole weekend. Right. So I guess now that he just he you know loses a bunch of weight and now he's just gonna just be going going to show off with no shirt on in the pool all weekend. So well, and especially when you have a family member with a with a private pool, I mean, what better to exploit oh, that than now when every other pool you know in in the area and probably the country right now is technically closed and well, who knows when they're going to open because obviously there's a famous feud going on right now in louisville between a radio personality and the governor uh, of when the pools will open so having a private one is at a premium as of now so if you have a friend don't let anybody else know so, part but uh but yeah so i have things to keep me busy until live sports besides just charity events come back so and not to knock the charity events because that was awesome i i am super appreciative probably like every other guy uh who enjoys sports and not even golf because there there's probably plenty of people 
that don't even watch golf on a normal basis that were tuned in right. to what because right. I mean I'm sure a ton of football guys that might not be into golf were you know their eyes were glued to that for sure had had to have been I mean we can get it if you want to we can get into the match now um, I mean what, what what did you what was your overall impression about each person if if you didn't get a chance to see um, if you were out one of those people at Home Depot or Lowe's on Sunday uh, Tiger Woods and um, Tiger Woods and Peyton Manning took on Phil Mickelson and Tom Brady in a golf charity match, basically, and it was kind of a play on the match that was that was brought that was brought about by TNT um, last year, and it was uh, on, on, actually it was actually on pay per view, um, but there there was they had the same pretty much TNT setup. Um, Charles Barkley is one of the main analysts. Um, for both matches, regardless. <laughs> if that, if that's what you want to call it, yeah. That's, yeah, I mean, he's not really an analyst. That's he's a more loose like a, term. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, but, yeah, no, so so the rematch, I guess, was the match, too. They spiced it up a little bit in order to draw a little bit more attention, uh, brought Tom Brady and Peyton Manning, an extremely nervous Tom Brady and Peyton Manning, yeah, uh, in front was, of a uh, national TV audience. Uh, so, so what was your overall impression was it, you think it was overall as a win? I think anytime you raise twenty million or probably over twenty million dollars for mm-hmm. you know for any sort of cause, I think that's a that's a win. And the fact that it, I mean, like they knocked out multiple birds with just one big stone, right? Because right. not only did they raise a ton of money, uh, you know, over twenty mil, which is insane, uh, just to play like eighteen holes, like casually, like right. not in front of a crowd or anything. Um, but they also knew it was going to give like such a reprieve to all the f- sports fans out there that have just right. been like craving live sports that aren't maybe you know European or Asian baseball, um, right? Whatever, whatever weird you know foreign sports to to America are playing right now. Um, definitely not NFL, MLB, NHL, all that stuff. So it was good to see like actual you know people that I recognize playing. At least golf, right? Because Peyton Manning has been amazing in commercials and TV. Like he's he's, I think he's grown in popularity, probably more since his retirement. Right? Would you agree? Uh, oh, a hundred percent. I think that like he's actually funny, like in commercials. Oh yeah, yeah. And I think there were a lot of people. You know, you you kind of pick and choose. You know, you pick your favorite favorite players. Uh, you pick. You know what what side what side you're going to be on as far as. You know, I bet you there are a lot of SEC fans, like Florida fans or Kentucky fans or Georgia fans or whoever, that absolutely hated Peyton Manning, um, even through the pro pro ranks, just because you know he was the rival, and you know it's just a popular thing to do to to hate, especially guys like him that are like pretty outspoken and and pretty like upfront with the media and that sort of stuff. So yeah. um, I, I'm sure that he is, is changing on a mind as his kind of after his career career keeps moving along, which, yeah, I, I, mean, which I thought was pretty funny in their intro that uh, Samuel L. Jackson said um, that he, he was on, he was in more commercials than Samuel L. Jackson was in movies. <laughs> That's actually, I didn't see the beginning of it. So I was going to ask like what happened. Cause what did you say? There was a like a driving range part as well at the beginning, or something like that. Because yeah, I mean, they so, had to—they basically had to span it out for a total of what, like six hours or, or something. Right. Like, and it, so, 
that that's the part that could be improved. So so the the format, the way that they did everything, is something that's not completely original. In that there's been a lot of they've had a lot of similar matches that they play on Golf Channel and you know s- smaller TV markets that you can actually go back and watch that were on recording. And so basically you just kind of jump from shot to shot, and if anything important happens in between, um, then they would you know they would let the inter- the on course interview or the the funny comment from the mic'd up player roll, and then you get like an hour long match as opposed to having a, like a five hour long match where, you know, stuff comes into play, like the rain affected their microphones and you couldn't hear their earpieces and you couldn't hear, they couldn't hear the analyst talking to them from the studio and so forth. So um, th- there were a lot of things that weren't, you know, that were kind of like, eh, to watch, you know, and, and, and part of it was them, you know, getting in the cart and going to their ball. And the part that really dragged was like the first five holes uh, Brady and Manning were like in the bushes or in the water or, you know, hitting their sixth shot before they get to the green. And it was just like, oh, okay, come on. Like, <laughs> you know, you get used You're to actually watching... watching normal people play golf. <laughs> well, so if you normally watch the golf, you only see the best shots. So, like, even if, like, right. especially if it's not a popular player, like, if there's a guy that's like 150th ranked in the world and he's leading the tournament, they still might not show him, you know, they'll still only show his best shots and show, like, Tiger, Phil, or, or, you know, one of the more popular guys. So, um, yeah, no, but to me, overall, it was a success. And I think that letting Tiger Woods pick who he wanted to be the on-course analyst, who it, it ended up being Justin Thomas, um, I, I thought that, I thought that was, was... It was great, right? Oh, oh, it was perfect. Um, the, okay. I mean, I, I'm glad we're agreeing on that. Cause personally, I, was... I, I, thought, I thought the best comment uh, from JT was, was that Chuck said that, you know, that the professional golfer shouldn't get excited to see Tiger and Phil hit a good shot because he wouldn't get excited and pumped up about seeing somebody dunk a basketball. And quickly, Justin Thomas came back and said, he said, Chuck, I'd love to see your fat ass try to dunk a basketball right now. That was, yeah, the, that was amazing. That was the best clap back for sure. Uh, overall success, I didn't realize that how bad Tom Brady was and how underplayed how good it was, how good Peyton Manning was. Like Peyton Manning is pretty close to a scratch golfer. Um, uh, there, there are a lot of shots that he hit that you have to play golf quite a bit to, to be able to execute. So he had a lot of shots in his bag. Um, I was surprised about how short they both were as far as off the tee. Like they were both, you know, kind of hit it like old, old dudes, which kind of surprised <laughs> me a little bit. Like I thought, I thought that especially Peyton being somebody who plays a lot and he's like a big. Like he's like the size of like Ernie Ailes. Like he's a big dude. Right. So I figured he'd be able to get some some shots out there. But Tom Brady actually won the long drive contest with a three wood and hit it two two twenty one, which is not really anything to write home about. Like I was thinking like they'd get it out there like two seventy, two eighty, being both being like six five, like professional athletes. Tom, like Tom Brady and Phil Mickelson look like a, a golf coach playing golf with a guy who's who's getting paid to like getting instructed like Literally, he looked like he was paying phil mickelson to like play golf with him and like up his game not yeah. not like play with him but have but phil just you know this, carry the load i think it would have been way more close if if you had peyton manning and phil versus tiger woods and tom brady because i think you know that that kind of averages it out a little bit more in my mind 
regardless overall is success. But I, I think what a lot of people want to hear about, what we want to get to you tonight too, talking about Louisville football and specifically, I know that we've touched on it a little bit, but specifically what Vince Tyre had to say and the overarching plan for student athletes to kind of get back to work uh, and get back to training um, on campus. Um, so I, I, I can actually read kind of a little snippet here um, from the plan, um, kind of revolutionary as, as far as not revolutionary, but like kind no, of. No, but he spearheaded this effort, right? Right. Like we were, yes, exactly. Louisville looks like a leader uh, in the ACC in terms of ign- right. initiating, uh, initiating, what the hell am I saying? Of igniting change, right? You know, to really get the ball rolling uh, for the conference. Right. So, so you got to so hats in, off to him. Kudos. In, ca- in case you missed it, Louisville was one of the first uh, schools to really come out with uh, a complete plan of how things are going to be laid out and how they're going to be bringing players back on campus. Um, so here's a little snippet. So under the first phase. A limited group of student-athletes totaling about 30 in football plus 15 each for men's and women's basketball would arrive on campus on June 1st with education on protocols to be employed prior to their arrival. The group would begin testing on June 2nd, physical examinations on June 4th, and be ready to participate in voluntary, voluntary physical training not directed by the coaching staffs on June 8th. Three Louisville facilities, the Schnellenberger Football Complex, the Traeger Center, and Planet Fitness Kuber Center, Kuber Center, Kuber Center, I never know, would be open with limited occupancy during the first phase. So basically, um, what, what that's saying is that um, what's most important to fans right now is that about 30 players uh, is gonna, are going to be able to be on campus on June 1st, and by June 8th, they're going to actually be able to train with some of the, with some of the uh, weightlifting staff or some of the, the strength and conditioning staff. If they um, want so, to. If they want to. Voluntarily. Voluntarily, right. Which, I mean, I, I feel like every, I don't know about you, but I don't know if you've ever not shown up to a voluntary workout. <laughs> did you ever, did you ever, uh, did you ever not volunteer to go to one of those in high school? So, we didn't really have many at all, really, that were, you know, that weren't like voluntold for the most part. Right. But I will say, like, uh, since I went to Seneca in Louisville, which, According, uh, you know, which I told my my fiance from Boston that it is a very prestigious school in Louisville. Um, One of the most she, in the country. I'm surprised until she moved heard to, it. Like it's basically Trinity and then like Seneca right there. Um, top two. But I basically um, we had a 70 year old wrestling coach, right? Like the most old school you can think of. Right? Mm. Like such a hard ass. Uh, Coach Anderson, he coached wrestling in in Louisville for like 40 years. And and anybody listening to this podcast, it's from Louisville that actually played high school sports and specifically wrestling. You've probably heard of him either way. So he would voluntarily tell the parents, hey, here's the open mat times like during uh, like holiday seasons, like during Christmas or Thanksgiving or times when you normally wouldn't be at high school. Right. Right. And this was like the only weeks we could really take off and, and. kind of just cut loose but he would tell the parents he's like yeah he's like open mat time like three to seven and make sure you get there at three right if he wants to voluntarily you know work out yeah, exactly and it was basically just holiday workouts like longer practices where we didn't have school and he knew it we didn't have tests to focus on we didn't have quizzes we right. had wrestling 
and and yeah, forget the food and all that stuff. So that was like my nightmarish like of being voluntary workouts, which is not good. And I'm sure a lot of athletes like not that are above me and like D1 and everything else uh, that went on. I'm sure they've had plenty of those stories to where like you think you have an uh, option, but everybody knows oh, you don't have an 100%. option. You don't, you 100%. don't have an option. Yeah. Never. So my, my first experience with uh, quote unquote voluntary workouts um, where the, where the coaches can't be there was when I was told to uh, be at the gym at six o'clock, which for our team at five fifty five a.m. Um, so I arrived at the gym about five fifty a.m. Um, a couple guys came rolling in at about five fifty eight, and by about six fifteen, every single person was in the bathroom throwing up, and nobody was ever late to voluntary workouts ever again. <laughs> so funny that, how that works. So yeah, so for for anybody that's that's curious about how that process works. About 30 football players will be on campus working out. Um, I, I guess the, the biggest question surrounding this right now is if you were the coaching staff and you could only choose about 30 players to right. be on campus right now, um, wh what would your thought process be going through who to pick and how to get, uh, you know, what, what, what would be the most advantageous for you and what would be most, most advantageous for the players? Right, because that's not even a, a starting first string for offense, defense, and special teams. So, right. you know, right. it's a very limited amount of people when you think about it, especially when, what, an average college team easily has over 100 kids mm -hmm. uh, per squad. So, yeah, you made a, a good point uh, outside of the podcast earlier when we were talking, um, you know, because your obvious thought is, is almost, you know, like the starters need to go back immediately, right, right. To, to just get prepped, get synced, get settled in, all that stuff. But then you mm -hmm. made a really good point as well, thinking of it from kind of an outside of football context, right? Right. Oh, that was that was your cue to literally expand. Oh, no, okay. I was, I was giving yeah, you a okay. layup there. I'm sorry. I could oh, you're good. On that. I apologize. Yeah. So my, no, my initial thought process on this was – the first thing that I thought of was, oh, you got to get like the best players on campus, like right. you know that that'll give them a chance to get a leg up on the competition, yada yada yada. But as I sat back and thought about it more, I was thinking about what players would truly need to be on campus the most because I'm thinking about what can be provided by them being on campus, and that would be number one, players or anyone who doesn't have access to um, either, you know, facilities, good place to stay, a comfortable place to stay, um, or the ability to, um, you know, get, have, have three meals a day and be able to stay in, in playing shape. Um, right. I, I think that's, that's a huge deal. You know, if you have an offensive lineman who's, you know, only eating twice a day or, you know, he's checking in with the, with the coach, you can tell that, you know, he like needs to get back on campus as quickly as possible. I think those are the, those are the first people that, you need to evaluate, make sure that those guys get on campus. Then after that, from just a logistics standpoint, I feel like that they would put, they would bring more local kids on campus first, especially considering that although Louisville is kind of a quote unquote, as you said, trailblazer um, in this kind of plan of action to get players back on campus, Kentucky is, is probably the strictest state as far as um, lockdown procedures go. Um, as far as, you know, traveling from state to state and so forth. So 
feel like the coaching staff might next make an effort to get all the in-state guys or the guys from, you know, surrounding states or, you know, within a drive basically. Right. So if there's any, if there's any guys that need to get on a plane for any reason, or if there's any guys that are going to be making a trip from like say Miami or California or Texas or something like that, that, you know, maybe they can, they can sit back and come with the next wave of players. Um, so that was my thought process is like, you know, Aiden Robbins who went to, or, or, uh, you know, uh, who who else? There, there's there's another manual standout. Well, I guess it would have been Tyler. Was it Tyler Haycraft was a manual product? Uh, regardless, if, if there's a guy that that's from here in Louisville, uh, right. it would make sense if those are the next guys to return. Yeah, to follow as, protocol, like to follow state mandated guidelines as of right now. Yes, right. I I agree with that. I think the other angle would have to be too, just from the simple fact that you know I, you kind of mentioned it earlier, but. Who has the best setup right now? You know, like if you if you have access to a private gym in and some of these like clips we're seeing of of hi, even high school kids that are having access to these like state of the art, um, you know, workout facilities. I'm sure the coaches are probably trying to sift through. All right, who are like our our you know um, our first string and second string guys that don't have access to that kind of stuff right now. And, um, we need to get them as soon as possible to, you know, cause I'm sure, like you said, that sh- some kids are struggling more in certain situations than others, um, mm-hmm. in, in around the country. So logistically, how do you, how do you figure that out? And the other right. question, uh, that we brought up as well was the fact that, um, you know, what is this going to do to the to the mindset of some of these kids when you might already go into the season knowing who you're competing against for that starting spot or that secondary spot, and you find out he gets to go and move in a week ahead of you and start right. lifting a week ahead of well, you prob- and start probably more than pregnant. a week, probably yeah, like exactly. a month ahead of them, yeah, right. So that it's just an instant competitive leg up, and these kids are super duper competitive. I mean, we're talking about like elite. D1 athletes. So, I mean, mm. of course, if I'm, you know, me versus you, even though we're on the same team, we play the same position. So, you know, I, I want to start over you. But if you get there before I do, you know, am I going to go into the season bitter, you know, or like not the season, but I mean, like, are you going right. to get to campus and not have the right attitude, like not be excited that you're back, but be pissed that another guy um, got more time than you? Right. Well, like, I'm, as, I'm also, as petty as that sounds, do you think that's even like a realistic thought or do you think that's just a very selfish, you know, view? Um, no, I, I mean, I, I don't think that I, I honestly don't think that there's guys that, that are thinking that way. Um, just because like, for instance, like Des Fitzpatrick comes to mind. Like, I hope that Des and Christian Fitzpatrick stay with their pops. Like, right. I, like they, they have we, a fan, phenomenal setup. Right. Exactly. Like yeah. they're, your dad's a football coach. Um, you guys have football in your blood, got, you know, whatever facilities they, that you need, um, they, they should have access to. Um, and they, they have parents who kind of know the drill and know right. what they do and don't need to be doing. Um, and, and we've seen, and a, we, we saw, we saw their dad too posting, um, right. posting videos of them working out. So, uh, you, the guys like that coming to my mind that number one, they don't, they don't need to be on campus right now and number two um you know i I don't think those are that's two guys that that are going to be super concerned about say um if justin marshall's on 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 campus right now you know versus the fitzpatrick brothers 
Like, like to me, I, I think that they're thinking that, you know, as a team, as a unit, they need to just improve. Right. Um, and, and the good thing about football, um, probably more so than any other sport, is it doesn't really matter as much if you start um, or how many reps you get. Like, you're going to get your chance on the field. Um, right. So I, I think that that's another important thing as well versus, say, like, bat, say basketball where, you know, if you're starter, you're playing starter minutes, like, you know, you're playing in front of another guy. Um, so somebody always has potential to steal that time. Um, yeah. one, other, one other last thing in regards to this as well, um, another caveat is that campus isn't open right now. Um, so there, there's not, there, I know that there are, is some limited faculty on campus right now, um, but, you know, summer classes are all online right now. And as far as I know, I don't think that anybody's allowed to move into the dorm complexes right now. So that could be another little wrinkle as far as, so say that these are the only three buildings that are open, Schnellenberger, Traeger Center, and, and the Kiever Center. You know, our players, are they going to have like a makeshift setup for players that are, that are from out of town living in the Schnellenberger complex? Like a, how exactly is that going to work as far as, right. you know, or, or, you know, I, I'm sure they could have some sort of setup at the stadium well, maybe where, where they, well, like they have the renovated. I mean, they have like, you know, I, I know it might just be like temporary bunks or, or napping bunks or whatever, but I mean right. the renovated facilities, I'm sure they could have some sort of setup, but yes, to your point, there's only a very, very limited access um, around campus. Yeah, because, I mean, like, you're not going to go to the main dining halls. You're not going to go yeah. to, like, any of that. So they're going to have their own private setup, I'm sure. Um, I mean, that's the whole thing. If Ty- Tyra wouldn't have released this or if if they didn't have those kind of things figured out already, you know? For sure, for sure. Um, and, and speaking of kids that shouldn't come back right now because it looks like they're doing fine without campus, Um I'm just looking at a clip off Twitter of uh, a 6'2", 285 defensive tackle uh, that is literally almost doing a 60-inch box jump. And so his name is Jared. Jared Dawson. Dawson. Yeah. So I, I, I want to know. I want to know. And I'm I'm actually in the midst of writing an article about this now. So it'd be a good good thing to look up. I, I want to know what the what the record running box jump is. What do you? It, off the top for, of your head for a lineman or for no, just just, just in the general. world record i just want to know like i mean I obviously know. 60 inches is ridiculous what what do you what do you think you could running box jump do right now because you're your guy you're in pretty Me? good shape yeah yeah okay but here's the thing i'm just <laughs> one of those like i enjoy lifting weights people um which doesn't always equate to just pure athleticism right like there's a reason we just kind of hide out in, in a gym Right. So much as like doing crazy stuff like that. Like I don't do the CrossFit uh, kind of stuff. So um, I have no idea. Honestly, I'd probably pull a hammy for sure. I know that. Um, I'm just constantly. I don't drink enough water, so you know that's going to play a factor right. right there. So like when I try to spring, it's just going to just boom cramp <laughs> right there. Okay. So I'm so, going to say like a, a clean, like you know, 24 inches maybe. It probably. I have no idea. I have no idea. I've never done like a running box jump. So I'm just like guesstimating from nothing. I don't know what a normal. That's not normal. I know a 6'2", 285 defensive tackle. No. Doing a 60-inch box. Like you can tell it just looks tall. Yeah. Right? Oh. Like that's the height of me or some shit. So I I don't even (laughs) want to think about like the kind of 
what height it's I would five, get. It's 60 inches is five feet, by the way. But if anything, what I take away from it is just that gives me a little more warm and fuzzies for the defense going into this season, just because we know the drastic improvement it's going to take to even be considered, you know, going 10 and two like ESPN FPI or whatever the analytic algorithm thing is right. that they throw out there. Right. You know, like in order to fulfill that destiny, which is insane, um, the defense is going to have to get so much better. Right. And, and, and mm. I think they have the pieces to do it. And it, we've talked about the congruity. We've talked about, you know, who's coming back and, and the new pieces and the transfers and all that stuff. Like it's all pointing in the right direction, but they still have to do it. Right. You know, like the, right. like the offense has proved they can do it. Like the concept right. is there. Right. So I, I think uh, with added depth, especially on the front lines and, and not only is Jared Dawson athletic, uh, but we've talked about this before, um, like on Slack and other things, but he's really, really smart. Like mm. he is a smart dude. And you want really smart guys on the front line because that is where like split second decisions, you know, are the difference from a guy getting 40 yards on a run or getting sacked like in the backfield. You know, Absolutely. like just, just those quick. And those, that's what Brian Brown wants is smart dude. And you can tell from like the scholarship offers that some of these kids have are in, you know they're always from like Ivy League schools. Like, it's it. You're constantly seeing it more and more. The more uh, we talk about rankings and and uh, recruits coming in, but, but yeah, yeah, I think so, just that little clip alone gives me you know a little glimpse of of more light at the end of the tunnel for U of L defense going into so this you, season. So you you spoke about how intelligent of a guy he was too. Um, so he has he has quite a few Power Five offers, but some of his offers are pretty impressive just from the standpoint of what he can do in the classroom. So you got Wake Forest, Navy, um, Jackson, I'm sorry, Howard, um, Austin P army air force, right. you know, so all, all of the military schools, which right. and, are, and it takes much more than athleticism to, to even compete at those schools. Mm-hmm. Like you're not going there, uh, to those kind of schools just for football. By the way, so so the running box jump world record, seventy five inches, which is it's pretty not impressive. That far away, holy crap! Yeah, I wonder how, how. Okay, does it give the dimensions of the of the guy or or the? It's the it's that, that it, it's but... that pre- professional dunker Jordan Kilinon Kilinon. I think you probably, if you look him up, you've probably seen you've probably seen this guy before. I I don't know how uh, to look him up after you butchered that name. <laughs> Killignon, Killignon, something like that. Good night. I'll look, look him up. World record box jump. Yeah. Either way, no I doubt he was 6'2", uh, 285. Yeah, like so that, he's... That's like some Zion stuff, right? Like just a giant dude that still has an insane amount of bounds. And that's right. what you also need on the front. Like, because we've talked about him. We've talked about Henry Bryant and how, like, yes, Henry Bryant is... If Henry Bryant had, like, two more inches on him, mm-hmm. he would have been picked up by, like, an elite SEC Yeah, team. he... Absolutely. I mean, like that, that's Bryant literally is... the, the difference of why he's at Louisville and why he's not at like a Clemson or like a LSU or, or schools like that. Bryant's a, a top 100 player, and I, I think Dawson would be too if, if they just had a little bit more size on them. Right, which is the um, perfect kind of guys we want uh, that we can either build up physically or coach up, you know, developmentally. So I'm, I think they're – yeah, the eye for talent has been insane. So the whole narrative that they can't really recruit or don't know what they're doing, I think that's been expelled numerous, numerous times over. 
Right. And, and I, I would definitely say that that Dawson coming in is one of the more underrated players um, on on that defensive line. Um, I know we we talked a lot about we talked about a, a lot about Bryant, um, and we've talked a lot about um, a lot of a lot of the in, new incoming guys on that on that defensive line. Um, but I, I would definitely say that Dawson is an is more one of the more underrated guys. Um, but what we kind of want to get into is underrated offensive players. So we we we're going to talk a lot more about defense in the coming week um, or so. But our, to me, uh, I think that having a lot of the returning talent on offense is exciting. But is there a guy or two that stands out in your mind as like this is a player that that fans need to look out for um, in 2020? Yeah, I mean, I think there's there's a handful of them, honestly. Um, if one comes up, and I think I even mentioned it earlier. Um, you know, we've talked about the wide receivers and other skill positions. But I think on a national scale, this might be a little bit corny, uh, but I think on a national scale, Mikhail Cunningham is still by and far potentially the, the most slept-on uh, athlete at what? UofL, like on, a na- like on a national scale. And it, it, it's awesome to see that people are still, like, refuting it left and right about, you know, like, say mm-hmm. what you want. And, yeah, he did a couple shovel passes to Tutu that got a bunch of yards and that counted as a pass. But either way, some of these stats that are coming out now um, that are taking a deeper dive mm-hmm. are, are really kind of telling. And I think they're telling a great story for Mikhail going into next season. Like, one I saw from PFF College, passer rating when kept clean from pressure in 2019. Number one, Tua Tagovailoa. Alabama, 153 uh, rating. Number two, Mikael Cunningham, 148.9. With Joe Burrow in third, a full eight points lower at 140.9. So, so just so, like small, in, like, in, and people can be like, oh, yeah, you, you can always point to stats to prove your point or, or look at stats sure. to disprove your point. Mm-hmm. But we this isn't the first time that he's been, like, in a top five or even top three uh, rating stat for offensive uh, efficiency or anything else dating back to last season. And he didn't even play. He didn't even have a full season. You know, he, he yeah, got injured. Um, I, I mean, that I forgot what the how many games he fully set or how many quarters he missed. I, I know we somebody has that stat at BRL. But uh, either way, it was multiple games. So mm-hmm. I mean, when you're when you're talking about these things, like just think of he had a full complete season, especially going into year two, and we're talking about an unfolding playbook, right? Um, that's gonna you know get more advanced on top of itself. I think the sky's right. the limit for this kid. Is, is there something to you that stood out about Cunningham's play last year? So we we've seen a lot of we've seen a lot of the the pro football focus, um, kind of advanced statistics. But is, is there anything that stood out to you with Cunningham that makes you think that Louisville can continue to progress on offense next year? Like, it, it, what what kind of stood out to you as, as the season went on that makes you think that Cunningham's going to keep up those those sort of numbers in 2020? Yeah, so I think a big thing um, that they can take away and improve upon is going to be one um, just the accessibility to to the running backs when it's not a run play, right? Right. So a lot of times last year you saw um, 
and and his decision making, just to throw it out there, has been a phenomenal step forward. Like we were hoping, right. Mikhail would get a little bit better uh, and improve upon that from from the season prior. But I thought it tremendously got better, um, especially just for one off season in a whole new system in a whole new offense. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think for me, it's going to be really opening up the the help from the running back. So that way he doesn't have to still um, maybe scramble and, and still get hit, you know, every time he doesn't throw the ball on a pass play. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's little seams or hot routes or, or you know, threads to where uh, Javion can, can slip through like a defensive end or something and just boom, right there, dump it off instead of you taking off running. And he gets like, you know, 15, 20 yards or you know how the scramble plays go. We've seen a ton of them right. from last season. Uh, but that way, he he saves his body. I think that's going to be a huge thing because we're talking about Mikhail, you know, really coming to a national spotlight. But none of that is going to come to fruition if he doesn't stay healthy, which is a legitimate concern because we haven't seen him a full season. Right. And to me, you spoke a lot about his decision making. And to me, I think that something clicked with Cunningham. We heard Scott Satterfield talk about the week after the Florida State game, right? So the Florida State game, if you remember, um, there was a lot of there was a lot of just unforced errors in that game that really cost a potential huge victory for U of L. Um, and and it, it was a lot of he took a ton of sacks, um, and I think that had a lot to do with the fact that Cunningham was in his own head a little bit about throwing the ball away. Like, I think that especially when you follow in the footsteps of somebody like Lamar Jackson, which granted they weren't on the same roster, same roster together. Um, but I, I still think that there what there is a little bit of that when you're a dual threat quarterback that you really, you know, want to make something out of nothing more often right. than not. And I exactly. think that yeah. in the, specifically in that Florida State game, when Louisville basically scored 28, 24, 28 unanswered points. Um, and then all of a sudden let the lead slip away. I think that a lot of what clicked for him in that game um, was that he just took so many sacks and there was ultimately an interception that, that cost Louisville the game. And then after that, he wasn't afraid to get rid of the ball. And Scott Satterfield talked after um, the Boston College game the next week about the fact that they basically just made Cunningham just roll out of the pocket and throw a ball out of bounds a hundred times in a row. They're like, look, if the play is not there, it's okay. Like you can live to fight another day. What you can't do is take a sack and put us out of position for like a third and 20, or you can't, you know, you can't throw the ball to somebody in double coverage down the middle of the field. You can throw the ball away. Like it's okay. Um, you don't have to try to, to scramble around and make something out of nothing. You know, so so I think something clicked with him in that situation. Um, and then from there, all of a sudden, we saw the Boston College game was the game where he kind of broke out. Um, he was injured in that game. You know, he spoke about he he missed a lot of playing time. But then the week after that, um, the Florida State or excuse me, the Wake Forest game um, was a massive coming out party for him um, on, on national TV, kind of in a primetime spot. Um, and then from there, you know, the, the rest was history. Um, you know, there is a lot of inconsistency with Louisville's offense, but there's a lot more to be said about, you know, just it, the the overall depth of the team was a huge issue last year. But speaking of that, hold on. I have one final stat to throw okay. at you because you just 
I totally forgot about it, and you just uh, brought it back, brought it back to me. So I appreciate it. Yeah. So uh, I was scrolling through this morning, and so Mark Blankenbaker actually had a really good point about the offense and about uh, specifically negative plays. And so I don't know if you caught this, mm-hmm. uh, but on that, he, he basically commented on that PFF college stat I just threw out earlier about Mikhail being the the second uh, with the passer rating when kept clean from from pressure. Right. And so he said, UofL is number 10 in the nation in passing plays of 40 yards or more. Uh, on the other side, we were last, 130th, in tackles for losses, in tackles for loss allowed. So we were able to make up a lot of ground very quickly with big yardage plays. So he also kind of added, it's, it's, it's wild to think that Louisville football had 129 negative plays out of 830 and still finished... 24th in the nation in total offense. Yeah, and that is I, insane. I think, like, I didn't think of yeah. it from that way, but that is crazy. That literally over almost an eighth of your entire offensive season went backwards in, in yardage, wow. but you still finished 24th in the nation. I, so, I would be I, interested. I think there's, there's room for improvement, obviously. Right. I, I would be interested when I have the time on my hands to kind of go go through and look at those losses and see um, how many negative plays were in those losses. To me, obviously, the, the Miami and Kentucky games stand out like a sore thumb last year. But I, I think that in every loss, that's a common theme for Louisville, is that even against even against Notre Dame, especially as the fourth quarter started to wear on and, and the offensive line got pretty tired, um, was that they, there were so many, just so many plays where a defender just came rushing in, into the backfield and the play got completely blown up. Um, I, I think Miami is, is the most obvious example of that. Um, but yeah, no, it, it'll be interesting, interesting to see, like even if they can limit those negative plays to say 70 or 80 this year, how much of a difference that, that can make. Right. Um, but we were talking about underrated players on offense. To me, my underrated guy that stands out to me would be Corey Reed. Um, for people who are unfamiliar with his stories, he was a four-star player coming out of high school. Um, he obviously was part of that, you know, five deep Bobby Petrino receiver, um, receiving core, um, battled some injuries and, and so forth. And just was, I mean, he was playing behind, you know, Jalen Smith and, and, um, and uh, uh, James Quick and, and some of these other you know you know high target receivers and just never got got a chance under Bobby Petrino. Um, so Corey Reed actually had some some positive plays in his time here at Louisville. Um, probably his best play was in a sort of blowout game um, against I believe it was against Murray State where he got the ball. Um, kind of in stride and took it all the way down inside the five-yard line and then fumbled. Um, and then from there, he never really got a chance under Petrino. Uh, when when Satterfield and the new staff came in, he actually transferred. Um, he transferred to, oh gosh, I think it was Iowa Iowa Western, I believe. Um, so yeah, so Corey Reed transfers Iowa Iowa Western, um, plays only four games there last season. And then has ended up transferring back um, to play for the new staff. To me, what that indicates is that the staff likes what they see from Corey Reed, which 
all indications out of practice were that Reed was was going to be um, a, he was going to have a massive um, impact on the offense at some point. Just never got the chance. Um, so it's, to me, I think that Corey Reed is is that guy who could potentially sneak his way into the starting lineup this year. And if not, he's going to get a lot of touches. Um, he's a guy who he's a big physical um, Seth Dawkins type of guy. I think when people see him out on the field next year, that that Dawkins will be the name that immediately comes to mind. Very similar in size, very similar in skill set, and maybe a little bit has a little bit more speed than than, than Dawkins did um, in his time at Louisville. So uh, Reed Reed is the guy that, that stands out to me, and, and another name to watch. You know, obviously we talk about this deep wide receiver unit. Another four star wide receiver coming out of high school that we've literally seen hardly anything from is Tyler Harrell. Um, and he's going to be a guy, he's definitely more of like a speedy type, type slot guy, a little bit smaller, but I think that he could be in the mix, um, at the slot behind Tutu Atwell. We talked a lot about Braden Smith, the Juco product. Um, and then obviously, and obviously Louisville still has Josh Johnson as well. Um, again, once again, loaded at wide receiver this year. Um, but but, I mean, it's just awesome to hear about all these like hidden gems, right? Because I think, I think the, obviously like the, the attention, for any sort of defense we come across uh, and play, you have the main attractions, right? Of like the Desmonds, Patricks, and the I can't, good God, I'm stuttering, and the Tutu Atwells and, and mm. Javion Hawkins and and the guys you hear about. But I think to your point that you're just like kind of knocking out. There's so many dudes that have talent yeah. at that core that no one has really seen film yet on because they sure. haven't really blown. But like you've seen. But, like, you know there's potential there, right? And sure. I think Satterfield obviously knows there's potential there, and he's going to unlock that, um, which just kind of goes into the whole, like, year two playbook. I really do think we're going to see, like, a whole – like, it's still going to be the core – the core will be there, like, you know, the spread zone stuff. But, I mean, mm-hmm. I think the creativity, they're going to be able to do so much more now oh, that yeah. McHale is going into an off season as a starter and now that he already understands – the offense and, and the concepts behind it. So they can build so much quicker once the foundation's laid. And I think that's really, really important to consider um, on both sides of the ball, really. We're going to have a lot of time. Obviously, there's if, if the football season goes as planned, uh, we have 100 days as of today, May 26th, until the season starts. Um, so we're going to have a lot, of, a lot more time to talk about this. Um, but I will say... And I will continue to harp on this until the season starts. Um, that if Louisville finds a way, and it's specifically not not only putting the wrinkles in the office, but in the offense, but also uh, Mikhail Cunningham's development um, in, in finding uh, the second and third options. If Louisville is able to hit the the receivers um, outside the numbers towards the sideline, specifically. Um, connecting more with Des Fitzpatrick on the outside. Um, yeah. I think that that could completely change the entire dynamic of, of not only this team, but the way that this season goes. Because if they can open up things to the sidelines, just imagine how much better um, things can be in the running game and things can be across the middle. They pretty much ran everything inside the numbers last year. Everything was going to the tight ends and the slot receivers, and everything was a run, you know, pr- if it wasn't a run, it was it was pretty much going across the middle. Um, right, like we were have, pretty concerned the first part of the season, where we like at least the initial first quarter of the season, uh, because like Des, there's a couple games didn't even get like a touch or two. 
you know, like he, it, he it was, barely even got got a look. Right, um, and so times were down because, like, I don't think Christian Fitzpatrick had even uh, like committed yet, and so we were like, of course he's not going to commit because his brother hadn't even gotten any touches. Right. So we we're like, this is really going to be a run heavy offense, and we were a little concerned. And then all of a sudden, like the next four games, they just exploded at wide receiver and, and it, put our fears to ease. Yep, and and I think that if the, if that's able to happen then you're going to be able to see the full scope of, of what what uh, Dwayne Ledford and Scott Satterfield have to offer. Um, yeah, but uh, the, the last thing that, that I kind of want to discuss today, we'll hit on this really quickly, is just I came out with an offensive line death chart this week. Not sure if you got a chance to look at it, um, but one thing that's that I've been really kind of focused on lately has just been the fact that Louisville has finally developed – some talented depth on the offensive line. Um, this since the staff has arrived, uh, they kept harping on there were eight uh, scholarship offensive linemen, and which ended up being by the time that the season rolled around, there were nine with Tyler Haycraft getting a scholarship. Um, but yeah, so so they had eight or nine off- offensive linemen on scholarship when they arrived, 18 wide receivers on scholarship, and they wanted they wanted to flip-flop. They, they kept talking about they want to have, you know, three, you know, really talented um, strings of offensive linemen. And I think that's so crucial to having a well-balanced offense is having not only a talented first-string offensive line, but also having depth behind those guys. You know, these are massive dudes and if they're playing 80 90 snaps a game like without getting a break i mean obviously you know obviously there's a lot of concern there Uh, i think one thing that louisville was fortunate about was that they had a lot of um just good fortune as far as health last year um not a lot of players got hurt and and specifically on the offensive line um but as far as the starters right now and I don't know if you have any any qualms with this, but as far as the starters up the middle, I think that it's going to remain the same going into next year. I think at left guard, you're going to have Caleb Chandler, who I also, and Jacob definitely has been harping on this a lot, that, that he believes that Caleb Chandler is the next um, protege of Dwayne Ledford. Um, but yeah, we have him locked in, probably the biggest lock on, on the offensive line at left guard. Then you got Cole Bentley in the middle, um, the story for Cole, for Cole Bentley and, and Robbie Bell is pretty interesting because they're two guys that kind of played interchangeably under Bobby Petrino at center. And the new coaching staff came in. They're like, no, look, both of you guys need to be on the field. Um, so we got Caleb Chandler left left guard, Cole Bentley at center, and Robbie Bell at right guard. Um, and that's, that is a fourth-year guy, a fourth-year guy, and a fifth-year guy um, up the middle for, for your – for your offensive line, which I think is awesome. And then on the left side, I, I liked what Adonis Boone did filling in for Mekhi Becton um, in his two starts last year. Um, so I, I'm interested to see what Adonis Boone can do, but he really held down to Fort last year. I don't see anybody coming in and, and taking his spot this year. Um, that Adonis Boone is a super athletic guy um, that fits perfectly on, on the offensive line. He was actually... Played, played a little bit of tight end in high school, I believe, and has now moved into a role where um, he's doing a, doing a great job at tackle. Um, our last one was Renato Brown, and I think that this is the one that, that could definitely 
go a bunch of different ways. But we had Renata Brown at right tackle. Um, but outside of that, um, you could have Trevor Reed, who is uh, who is a junior college All-American that's transferred in. Um, you have Tim Lawson, who's a true freshman. Um, you have Zach Williamson, who redshirted last year, but he was actually Louisville's highest-rated player coming in last year. Um, so are, are there any names that stand out to you um, as far as as far as the offensive line? Do you think that we kind of got it right as far as up the middle? And uh, is there anybody are there any names that stand out to you that could be breakout guys next next season? I mean, I think um, what gives me the most hope, especially like you just mentioned at the very beginning of that, was that we started out with almost just eight scholarship linemen. And now we have even freshmen uh, that are going to be capable of, of backing up or even competing uh, with some right. of these guys. Like we've heard so many good things uh, about, you know, like a good example is like Luke Kandra. Like mm-hmm. tell me one bad thing you've heard about him so far, especially as he's gotten bigger um, and more athletic. Like that's the whole thing is, is Satterfield is jumping on these guys and to the point to where like, he knows they're they're going to keep growing or keep developing even before right. they get to Louisville. And right. so by the time Luke Kandra officially arrives on campus, I mean, he's going to be a bad dude at Lyman, you know? Yeah. I mean, so, and you're, you're talking about, uh, especially combine that with one of the top offensive lineman coaches in the country. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that I, I don't see that position going anywhere but up uh, for the foreseeable future. Right. And so that that gives me a lot of hope. It's just the initial first string, second string, you know, because those yeah. guys are going to push each other every single day. And you really didn't have that last year. And you couldn't have that last year uh, because you're worried about injuries, to your point. Right. You know, right. and we were, they were very, very lucky. Um, you know, I know everybody just remembers the injury bug at, at quarterback. But honestly, yes, we were lucky with how capable Conley was. Um but to your point, you know, offensive line stayed healthy a majority of the season. I know. Mm-hmm. I mean, you got yeah. one or two misses here or there, but I mean, for the most part, they were intact almost every game. Yeah, and I think what what you what is so important too is that you have Robbie Bell and you have Cole Bentley returning. Um, like I said, though, like you mentioned, I think that there is a chance. Um, we saw that Barton Simmons actually came out with with the top 20 freshmen that will see playing time in 2020. And I was surprised to see that Simmons had Luke Kandra on the list because of what Louisville has returning. Um, but if he's a guy that, that's that good, he's regardless, he's going to get some clock. So I think it'll be awesome to have, you know, Louisville still, we still had the, whatever you said, 180 negative plays last season. So to me, only 129. Uh, I'm sorry, 129, 180. That's yeah. a lot. That'd be Oof. a lot. That'd be bad. That would be that's, even more impressive to finish with the 24th rank. Exactly, but. exactly. Um, no, no, but I, I think that that's kind of the, the next development outside of, you know, we talked about improving a little bit in the passing game, improving with decision-making, improving with, you know, more experience as it comes for some of these players. But I think that offensive line depth um, will be crucial this year. I think also that having a a graduate transfer, a JUCO guy, and a few instant impact guys to mix in with four redshirt freshmen on the offensive line, that's that's massive. Um, and then we're seeing already 
and the next recruiting class, so they've already got two more offensive linemen. They'll probably add even more to that. So they're going to continue to build depth on the offensive line. As long as Dwayne Ludford's here, um, he's going to continue to you know, do what he does and be the quote-unquote offensive lineman whisperer. Um, yeah, go, go right ahead. I'm sorry. And, and no, not only that, but obviously even with Satterfield, like these guys leave, even when they do leave programs, they leave them in such phenomenal shape going right. forward. Like, there's no way uh, Drinkowitz or whatever uh, would have landed the job at Missouri if it was not for Satterfield and the the team he left behind because they were, like, a badass team. They were the first-ranked Appalachian State team in a while, uh, you know, like, set the record for uh, two guys going in the draft. I mean, he did all these things, and those were Satterfield's guys. So when we're talking Mm -hmm. about uh, the the staff that Satterfield has put together, the assistant coaches are going to leave. For, for bigger, you know, maybe head job opportunities, either way. Right. Um, but they're not going to leave the team in worse shape than they found it. And I think and that's going to be huge for the offensive line because Ledford's going to build that thing, to your point. And even when he leaves, it's going to be okay because of the depth and the culture that's already been established. Right, That's and that's a great point in that, you know, Elia Drinkwitz is, is – one of the luckiest guys in college football because right. he's making more man, than Satterfield right now. Yeah. Off oh, his that, team. That, that's what I was going to say. So, so this bad. man Didn't takes, your thunder. Sorry, takes over Appalachian state for one year, um, has a, a fairly successful year at app state, but it was with a lot of guys who had been developed. So it'd be interesting to see, say if, if Dwayne Ledford left after this year, you know, you still have Luke Andre, you still have Trevor Reed, you still have Timothy Lawson, you still have Jackson Gregory. Um, you still have Williamson. Um, Kobe Baines is a guy that we haven't even mentioned yet. Um, right. You still got a guy like Josh Black, who was one of the first. Actually, I believe he was the first commitment um, in last year's class. And then you have a 2021 class that, that they're, you know, really working hard on. So say he did leave next year, um, you're still going to have the leftovers um, and be able to reap the benefits of, of that. And then plus, we, we haven't even talked about, um, you know, Satterfield's ability to um, do addition by subtraction. Um, you know, they, they lost, uh, a, a, a tenured and an older, uh, linebacker coach last year and just replaced the, the linebackers coach with an offensive, uh, for, with the offensive coordinator from Southern Miss, you know, no big deal. Um, so, so, you know, I think that we have to have faith as well in, in Satterfield being able to, um, kind of shore up the coaching staff if, if something does happen, but I think we're about out of time. Uh, anything else to add as far as uh, giving us any words of wisdom going forward for the rest of the week, Alex? Any advice working from home? Any advice that? working from home? Um, yeah. And yeah. Do, do you have yeah. any advice for listeners as far as, as, as what to do when you're working from home and how to break up the day and make things more exciting? Uh, one, find some Clarence Uggs. Uh, house shoes because they are the most comfortable thing you'll ever find. And they... They're shoey enough to feel like uppity, to almost like actual work environment. Do you do you wear um, like do you wear slippers, just like slip-ons, like slides, or do you wear like UGG boots? No, 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 not the boots. Uh, they have like male, like a male low, like low-cut version that's super nice. Also, tell Lola I said hello. Um, Luna, or Luna, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. no, just, you're fine. Now she's really fine. gonna be pissed, but no. Uh, <laughs> Just then, just daily walks, man. I just I've been trying to get out in the sun as much as possible. So you know that the sun helps. So just outside as much as possible because you're gonna be indoors 
all day long, like we all know, for the last like ten plus weeks. So about to say get out and get a sunburn like Alex. Absolutely. I'm happy about it. All right. Well, until next time, uh, we've been doing about three to four of these a week, so we will see you again later this week probably. Later. Peace.